Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. For this, our sixth episode, we are joined by a friend of the show, Josh, as he will take us through a Disney Cruise trip report. We will also be discussing the release of the much-anticipated video game, Star Wars Battlefront II, and the failure of Justice League at movie theaters. As always, we will conclude with our very popular Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Jack. I'm Joe. I'm Scott. I'm Neil. And I'm Josh. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce someone I've known for 28 years, which is actually scary to say that right now, but I'm very, very uh, much looking forward to having Josh on this podcast for the first time. Josh and I uh, have been longtime Disney fans, particularly of the parks, uh, and uh, Josh just had a very unique experience going on the Disney cruise, which was his first Disney cruise, and I've never been on one myself. Uh, and uh, I look forward to hearing all his thoughts and uh, uh, how everything went on the trip. So, Josh, welcome aboard to Stuff We Love. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be on with you. So I'm um, very excited to talk to everyone today a little bit about my experience on a Disney cruise. Um, we were on the Disney Dream Boat, and it was the three-night cruise that made um, two stops. And we actually had the pleasure of spending a night in Orlando the night before um, the cruise left. So wanted to talk to you about that and then take you into a little bit about my experience on the cruise itself. So on um, the first night in Orlando, we stayed at the Art of Animation Hotel. So I had never been to that property before, but I have to say, you know, overall, I was really impressed. Um, it was a beautiful property um, with a really pretty incredible pool area. Um, and I was very impressed with that for it being a value resort. Um, there were several themed neighborhoods throughout. Um, with many of the different movie themes from classic Disney movies, some of my favorites, including Lion King and The Little Mermaid. And there were life-size characters from those films throughout that you could walk up to and take pictures with, which really brought the overall animation theming to life. Was this your first time at a value resort? It was. I had never been to one before, and so I didn't know what to expect, but I have to say I think I was pleasantly surprised. So it exceeded your expectations? Yeah, absolutely. See, it's interesting because the Art of Animation Resort, even though it technically is a value resort, some people refer to it as a value moderate because the accommodations are a little nicer than you might find at some of the values. But um, from the moment it opened and I watched footage of the opening ceremony and what the hotel looks like, I always thought it looked very cool. Scott, could you just define for the audience a value resort? Yes. Yeah, so official Disney resorts are grouped into three categories. You have value, moderate, and deluxe. Values are considered to be the most affordable. They also have the lowest level of amenities. The rooms tend to be not as nice as you get at the moderate and deluxes. The food choices are a little bit less extensive, and the grounds of the hotels are just not as impressive. Moderate takes you up one level. The pools are a bit nicer. The rooms are a bit bigger, and the grounds are quite beautiful. For example, Port Orleans French Quarter is considered a moderate hotel, but to me that has some of the most beautiful grounds of any Disney resort on property. And then finally, you have the deluxe hotels, which are the A-plus hotels at Disney World. They are by far the most expensive. The rooms tend to be the most impressive. The pools are very extravagant. The hotels tend to have good restaurants. And in this category, you have places like Yacht and Beach Club, Grand Floridian, Polynesian, Contemporary, Wilderness Lodge, Animal Kingdom Lodge, 
uh, boardwalk. So nice hotels like that. Those are the three different types of hotels. And Art of Animation, I just uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about it, Josh, because I've heard some good things about it. So I'm glad you liked it. Josh, yeah. can I ask what, what made you choose uh, the Art of Animation this time versus another uh, hotel on property? Yeah, so it was booked through the overall planning for the cruise itself. And so they define a, a, a more limited number of hotels that you can stay at, at the night before you leave for the cruise. Um, and there actually happened to be a race that weekend. Um, and so Art of Animation ended up being our default option. But overall, we were very pleased with it. Like you said, Scott, you know, I didn't know exactly what to expect, but the grounds themselves and then the overall pool and water play area for kids was really very impressive, mm -hmm. um, something that I probably would have expected from more of a moderate resort. And I would say, though, you know, in terms of what you said about the room, I think that's about right. You know, the room is very basic and um, it was you know, somewhat tight for a, a family of four um, you know, that I was traveling with. And so um, perfect for the purposes of leaving the night before a cruise. Um, and, you know, I'd say overall a very good experience. The mm -hmm. one other thing just to add, I think you guys will find interesting. There was pretty significant construction going on at the hotel. Um, and I pretty quickly realized that it was the construction for the Gondola Skyway um, that's oh. being built to connect Epcot, Hollywood Studios, Caribbean Beach, and the art of animation in Pop Century. So it was very cool to see that underway. And I think that will really even improve the... Um, art of animation experience even more when all of a sudden that hotel is directly connected to the parks. What does everyone think of the gondolas, the addition to the uh, Disney property, the gondolas being added? I personally, I can't wait. I think it's a, I think it's a great addition. I think it makes it a uh, more unique experience. And uh, that's one of the things that makes Disney so special is that you could have a completely different experience depending where you stay, what you do, what parks you visit. And this is just another unique element that gets put into the mix that will make this vacations different than other Disney vacations and different than other vacations you'll take elsewhere. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I don't see it as much different than something like the monorail that's already there between certain hotels. Um, and it's, you know, everybody likes the monorail. It was a great thing. And, and this is just another one of those. And I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait till it opens. People look at the monorail as an attraction. And I think that's how they're going to look at the gondolas. That's how I look at it. I can't wait to go on it. You know, we were only there for one night. Um, and I was you know, traveling with my family at the time. And so... Um, we were not actually able to make it to one of the parks, just given when flights were arriving and, um, you know, overall just coordinating schedules. But um, we were able to make it to Disney Springs, which, you know, I've been to, this was actually now my third visit. And every time I go, I'm more and more impressed with the overall Disney Springs experience. Um, really just a fantastic way to spend an evening in the Disney area and um, had the pleasure of trying out a new restaurant this time around. Uh, we were able to go to Paddlefish, um, which is one of the um, newer restaurants, I would say, maybe within the last year or so. Um, and it's essentially like a converted riverboat on the water there at Disney Springs um, with you know some nautical theming um, and uh, seafood offerings. So uh, very good. I'm, myself, I'm a big foodie and enjoyed the uh, tableside lobster guacamole. Um, <laughs> And had a shrimp and grits dish that was very, very good. Um, everyone I was with really enjoyed their meals, but I will say probably my favorite restaurant at Disney Springs is the Boathouse, which is yes. also seafood. And I would say that if I had to pick a, between those two in terms of a seafood restaurant, I would probably choose the Boathouse if I had to do it again. Interesting. You know, Josh, I know how much uh, you do love food and uh, <laughs> trying different restaurants. And oh, uh, 
uh, we do share a love of the boathouse, as I, I believe uh, several of us on the podcast here do. Um, uh, and also, I, uh, that leads up to another thought of mine, which is the very exciting news about the new Italian restaurants coming to Disney Springs, which will be another addition uh, that I'm very, very much looking forward to. Josh, I wanted to ask you something real quick. Um, when we spoke on the phone a while ago, you briefly mentioned this to me, uh, that you did try the food at the Art of Animation Resort, but it, it was just more, uh, what are your thoughts on that exactly? If you could explain that to us. Yeah, so the the food at the Art of Animation, it, the main offering there is, is a fairly large food court, um, which was perfect when we first arrived for uh, lunch with a bit of a larger group. Um, but for dinner, you know, we, we definitely felt the the need to get off grounds and uh, experience something different. So um, very convenient food court, I'd say, for breakfast and lunch. Um, personally, just being a foodie, you know, the the draw at Disney Springs is too great to pass up. Well said. Mm -hmm. So, Josh, how did you get over from the hotel to the uh, cruise port? So, uh, yeah, so from the, uh, from the hotel to the cruise port, we took the um, I think it's still called the Magical Express transportation. So, you know, it's the, the regular offered transportation. Um, everything is really amazingly coordinated between um, the hotel and the boat. And in fact, basically, you leave your bag, you can leave your bags in your hotel room. We left them at the Art of Animation, and we didn't see them again until they were in our rooms on the cruise. So oh, wow. uh, that is directly coordinated, which obviously makes your life um, a lot easier. Amazing. Well, that's interesting. Uh, now, now, Josh, I think uh, this is an important part to get to now that uh, I'll say uh, just I should have said as part of the introduction, you do love to travel and you've traveled a lot um, uh, uh, all over the world and and you always have had a love for Disney. Um, now, but tell us your experience as you were going on the Disney cruise. This, if I recall correctly, was your first cruise, uh, not just Disney cruise. Uh, uh, if, if you, if, is that correct? That's correct. I had never been on a cruise before. You know, obviously had heard a lot about them, um, and uh, you know had had considered them before, but it just never had worked out. And so this was my first cruise experience, and for that reason, um, I was glad to do that th first three night cruise rather than something that was a lot longer because I didn't know what to expect. Um, sure. And so I think that definitely worked well for a first cruise experience, just to. To give us a taste and again i was you know traveling with my family and so you know wanted to make sure that uh that everyone took to to cruising um you know during our trip so um mm -hmm. it it was the three night cruise and my first cruise ever as well as everyone in my family's um and it made two stops so um the first was in nassau within the bahamas and the second was at castaway k the disney private island mm -hmm. and because the cruise was only three nights we actually did not get off the boat in Nassau. We stayed on and really enjoyed the amenities and the experience on the boat. And then we did exit the boat at Castaway Cay and, you know, experience everything that the uh, the private island had to offer. So it was less than one full day, obviously, to get from Florida to Bahamas. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Josh, what was it like when you first arrived uh, on, the, on the ship? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, like you would expect, the Disney hospitality, I'd say, shines through. You know, every step of the way in terms of how you're greeted on the boat by uh, by the staff, how you know you get to your room, how you're checked in, um, and then within you know an hour or two of uh, boarding the boat, there's a departure party um, with a full stage show on the main deck 
with the Disney characters, um, and it really feels like a, a full celebration on board the boat. I have not been on a Disney cruise, um, but I have heard that if you didn't want it to be, it's not overly Disney, if that makes any sense. They don't push it too much if you just want to go on a cruise, for example. Did you see any evidence of that, or is it literally all Disney in your face all the time? No, I mean, I would agree. I do think, you know, if if you went as, um, you know, a couple that was looking for, you know, a Disney-esque experience, but not maybe not something that's fully immersive, I do think you could tone it up or tone it down. But I will say, you know, having, you know, gone on the cruise with my family, I'd say the main pluses, the main reasons why I think you would want to do it is that Disney theming. And personally, if if I wasn't looking for that and it was maybe just, you know, my wife and I, I, w- I would potentially look at other avenues, something that was, you know, outside of the realm of a Disney cruise. Right. Um, I'd say the number one positive and probably the, the thing that drove the, the most positive aspects of the experience were the access to the characters themselves. Um, so whether it was shows, separate meet and greets, just bumping into characters around the trip and you know along the around the boat and having those interactions, the access to characters was very different than what I had experienced over recent years in the parks themselves. So you know, my my kids had the opportunity to probably meet I'd say fifteen or twenty different characters over the three days, whereas I think you know having that opportunity and being able to take pictures with that many characters in the parks would be a little bit more difficult and very time consuming. Did you go on the there, there? Am I correct that there is a uh, a ride on the ship itself, or a raft? Yeah, so there is a water slide that actually goes around the outside um, deck of the boat, and you know I I think that's an amazing aspect. And overall, I would just say the amenities on the boat are incredible. I mean, it really felt like a very very new boat. Um, the restaurants were all beautiful. Um, the pool areas, the the slides. Just you know, walking around, it it is a, a very impressive um, ship, and you know there were decks where there were private nightclubs and you know areas with bars and uh, sports bars and martini lounges where you actually felt like you were out in like a downtown area. Um, there were other areas with you know children's clubs and extensive kids activities. So you know the boat is just so huge that there's almost neighborhoods within the boat. Um, and like Joe said, you can sort of pick and choose your own adventure from the, from that regard, um, whether you want to fully immerse yourself in Disney um, or if you want to have, you know, a little bit more of a laid back, you know, regular vacation. How did you personally take to being on the water? How was that for you uh, for the first time going on a cruise? It's pretty incredible, I have to say. You know, I didn't know what to expect. But, you know, once when you wake up that first morning and you look out and, you know, you can just see you know for miles and miles around you and it's it's just ocean it's it's pretty incredible i had never experienced that before and i would definitely say that was you know, one of the highlights i'll add for anyone who's interested uh i know i think scott's read these books the kingdom keeper series by ridley pearson yes They're a fantastic series are really interesting books it, it starts out with uh it's a great plot i'm not gonna spoil anything but it starts out in the parks and eventually in some of the later books they actually go on to the cruise the books are uh really good as well so definitely check that out if you're interested josh can you uh take us through the uh restaurants some of the food experiences on the boat yeah for sure so um there were three on our boat the disney dream there were three main dining areas and you were assigned a different restaurant each night 
And what was very cool is that your um, wait staff, so the main waiter and the assistant waiter, actually travel with you to each of those restaurants. Um, so they actually you know, get to know your family. Um, they get to know your likes and your dislikes. And so that may be standard for other cruises. I'm not sure because this was my first, but um, that was something that we thought was, was very cool. But there were three restaurants, um, the Animator's Palette, Royal Palace, and Enchanted Garden. And you know, as you can imagine, there were theming at each of those restaurants. I would say the animator's palette was um, the most distinctive experience. So, um, you know, it ha basically had animation theming um, with very large screens all around that showed different Disney animation. And at different points of the meal, it actually cut in with um, Crush, the turtle, uh, you know, from Finding Nemo. And Crush actually started talking to people in the crowd. So there must have been some sort of video camera. Um, and microphone within the dining room, and the turtle actually could interact with the diners um, in the main dining room, and there was some back and forth, um, which you know just made for a, a pretty unique and uh, and fun experience. Did you and your family have a private table, or did you share it with other guests? We did. No, it was um, private tables. You know, as if nice. you were just going out to dinner with your family. Because um, sometimes cruises they mix, they they put you with other guests. Gotcha. Yeah, and I don't know if that was a choice or not, but we we sat directly with our with our family. So, you know, the meals, I say the food was excellent. And obviously like many cruises, it was plentiful throughout, you know, buffets, um, all hours of the day, um, very casual food options of, you know, pizza and hamburgers, ice cream, um, you know, available throughout the day. So food was definitely a plus and, you know, you definitely stayed hungry with the amount of activities. So you know, I would say that overall, particularly some of the kids activities were really pretty incredible. Um, there was something there called the Oceaneer Club where you could either, you know, you could drop off your kids or there were actually open hours where you could go with your family and hang out. And the Oceaneer Club consisted of several different rooms, um, different themes from different Disney movies. There was a Andy's Room theme from uh, Toy Story, a Star Wars room, um, and, you know, the kids could just run around. And during the time there were random scheduled um, activities at one point. Um, Mickey, Goofy, and Pluto came out and had a dance party with the kids. And at the time, there were maybe seven or eight kids there. So, you know, a pretty unique experience to have a private dance party with those characters For sure. uh, when there's only a few other kids around. Josh, I've seen online a lot of clips of this, and I'm sure based on what you just said, it's true that the kids especially have a lot more of a close and interactive experience with a lot of the Disney elements than they would, per se, at the park. Uh, whereas at the park, you know, they're, they're riding the rides and they're walking around, but especially on the cruise, they have a lot more opportunities to be uh, a lot closer with the characters. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And yeah, I think there's pros and, and cons to it because um, I think that you get much closer to the characters and it's a you know much closer experience on the cruise. But at the same time, I really didn't feel like the cruise was a replacement um, for a trip to the parks. Um, this time around, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to go to the parks. Um, and there's, there's definitely something, um, you know, magical to about being in the parks and going on the rides and, and being fully a part of that. So this to me almost felt like a separate entity. Um, and I really didn't feel like it would replace a trip to, uh, to Disney world. I, I think Disney marketing would have loved to hear you say that. You, know, you, have, to do, you have to do both. Exactly. <laughs> Josh, do you think people on the cruise were treating it at this, 
that to them they prefer the Disney cruise to the actual theme parks? Did you meet people like that that just go on the cruises and don't go to the theme parks? A hundred percent. You know, it, we definitely. I had heard that ahead of time, and then you know there were people you know that you could just overhear conversations or whatnot. Um, that you know this is something that people do every year, and um, the cruise has replaced the park. To me, it felt very different, um, and uh, you know, I, I think it's just a very uh, unique experience, and um, and uh, yeah, would recommend both, but not one as a replacement to the other. And what was Castaway K like for you? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, so Castaway K was definitely another highlight of the trip. So um, it is a you know private island within within the broader Bahamas, and you know, Disney purchased it a number of years ago, and now, you know, a few times a week, the cruise ships come in, Disney only, um, and what they've built there is pretty incredible. So really just beautiful uh, facilities, and the beach is incredible, as you can imagine. You know, so you get that powder white sand and the clear water that you that you, know, you look for in the Caribbean, uh, but with a lot of those Disney-esque amenities. So, you know, there was a, a large barbecue where obviously all the food is complimentary and part of the cruise. Um, you know, there are um, other, you know, snack stands and bars um, and uh, restrooms and then obviously plenty of chairs, towels and life vests. Um, there, there was more going on at Castaway Cave than I had a chance to experience. I believe you know, there was a water slide. Um, there was another uh, little spray park area for kids. But honestly, we were, you know, really just enjoying uh, the beach and and uh, the ocean there because it is pretty scenic and incredible. If you were to plan another Disney trip soon, would you? How would you consider incorporating a Disney cruise into the larger picture? Let's say you had a week. Let's say you had uh, even five days. Uh, uh, let alone maybe a ten day trip. How would you think now to incorporate a Disney cruise into that trip, or would you say this would be uh, an experience for you to do every so often instead? What, what is your take on that? How does it? How does this now go into your planning for future Disney trips? Yeah, I mean, I think for me because it's such a distinctive experience, I would probably mix it in, you know, maybe personally for me, you know, every five years or so. Um, and, and have that be an experience in between, you know, a visit or two to the parks. Um, I think it depends though. I do think that, you know, if, if getting to Orlando is not easy for you, um, then while you're in Orlando and you're heading over to, um, to you know, Cape Canaveral to from where the uh, the boat leaves, you might as well spend a couple extra days at the park, and and you could potentially combine them. So you know, depending on where you're coming from, I think that could potentially shape um, how you structure the trip. Personally, I think if we had done a bunch of days at the park, you know, before or after, along with the cruise, you know, traveling with younger children and having it be our first cruise, it would have been a little too much. I I think the way we did it worked for this trip. Uh, but I do think, you know, it could make sense to tack on otherwise. And Josh, just to put you in the hot seat here, since it's your first time on the show, just so the listeners could get a, a, an idea uh, of uh, your Disney interests. Real quick, favorite, uh, favorite attraction, favorite resort, favorite restaurant. All right. Uh, I, I might have to say uh, favorite ride, Carousel of Progress. Um, nice. you know, I'm a little bit uh, old school in that regard, but I remember... That that ride left the lasting impression on me from you know one of my first trips to Disney and the people um, about to demolish the ride just held off on what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm definitely a, I think a Carousel of Progress guy. Um, favorite restaurant? 
Um, you know, I think we already talked about the boathouse, so yeah. I'll just Second mention count. two others. I would say um, Cafe Mickey for the character dining experience and, and breakfast experience. I think I've done a few different character breakfasts, and I think that one is a uh, real sorry, Chef Mickey's. Um, I think that's my my favorite. Um, for dinner, I would probably say Art Smith's Homecoming at uh, Disney Springs. I think the overall experience there, the theming of you know Floridian food and and sort of laid back, um, you know, lakeside atmosphere is really fantastic there. Um, and the fried chicken was some of the best that I think I've ever had. I would highly recommend it for um, families and those with kids. I think um, it was really a fantastic way to, to introduce your kids to the overall Disney experience as well as to having the opportunity to experience you know, the Caribbean with them. I uh, think that if it was my wife and I, you know, I may, uh, I may look for other options, um, but for the family, I really thought it was a fantastic experience. Great. Josh, Josh. thank you for that amazing trip report. I think that's going to be very helpful to us and our listeners. Glad so, to be here, and thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, no, thank you, Josh. Yep. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate it. So switching gears uh, right now just for a little bit, but slightly Disney-related. Um, recently, Electronic Arts EA Games uh, released Star Wars Battlefront II, uh, which was not without some controversy. Now, Jack, I know you got the game and have been playing it. We've discussed this on the show before when the beta came out and uh, how excited we all were for the game. Uh, I haven't gotten it yet, but I want to hear you talk about your impressions of uh, Battlefront 2. So yeah, I, I played the beta when it first came out, and then I also um, I'm subscribed to this thing called our Early EA Access, so I got to play a 10-hour trial before the full game came out. But for about a week now, I've been playing the, the full game. A bit of a rocky start, because people have been a little bit upset with the game. Uh, first of all, the largest reason had to do with the in-game um, purchases, which was a lot of people criticized it as a play-to-win system and pay-to-win pay system. What that means is basically you can spend enough money to unlock certain characters, abilities, so that you basically can't be beaten in multiplayer, as well as you can progress through the game really easily just based on how much money you spend. And especially in the gaming community, that's a big no-no. A, lo a lot of hardcore gamers really don't like that. And so EA at first was trying to defend themselves um, on Reddit, which is where a lot of the people were expressing their concerns. EA posted a comment in response to one of their... Uh, a, a um, criticism of the system and EA's uh, response actually received the most downvotes in Reddit history. And if any of you are familiar with Reddit, it's a huge um, interface where people can communicate and post uh, and have discussions online. And for it to get, get the most downvoted comment of all time, that says a lot. A lot of people are jumping on this game, especially because apparently a lot of people don't love EA. Um, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently oh, yeah. EA is not favorited in the gaming community as they usually do apparently do things like this to make uh, a good amount of money for it. And so once they kind of defended themselves there, a lot of people who didn't even were familiar with Battlefront 2 just jumped on criticizing EA because it was EA. Um, when I first got the game, though, and was looking at the system, I really didn't find any problems with it. It was only after people were bringing it to my attention that I noticed that it was an error. And me personally, I didn't take too much offense to it because... It, you know, they are producing a product, and as a result, they want to make as much money off of it, which is understandable. Um, and if they're going to be just the greedy uh, game company, um, as much as that's not great, if they're making more money at the end of the day, they don't really care as much. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have a huge problem with it. If you didn't want to pay to win, you, you didn't have to. Um, 
But one thing I did have a huge concern with, which was one of the second problems that people expressed over the game, which was if you weren't going to pay to win, you had to play an extremely long time to unlock certain characters, get certain abilities, and that's what really frustrated me. So I've been playing the game, like I said, for about a week, and I've progressed very slowly through it, even though, in my opinion, I've been doing pretty well. I've gotten at least uh, 15 kills per game, and I've gotten upwards of 30, and yet I have not moved up too fast. Um, In-game is a different problem. I'll talk about that in a second, but... In order to unlock certain heroes, certain different abilities, you uh, obviously play a game, and based on your performance, you get amount of credits. And uh, based on how many credits you have, you can unlock, like I said, different heroes' abilities. And the biggest concern is you'll play a game and do very well, and the credit system is just not tuned right now, where you don't get many credits, or um, you don't play the objective at all, and then you get a lot of credits, and it's very problematic for a multiplayer interface, especially one as large as the Battlefront 2 maps are, because if you have people not playing the objective, then the game's pretty much not fun for the, in the slightest. So that's one of my largest concerns for it. The third problem has to do with the reinforcement system. So when you're playing the game, um, based on how many kills you're getting, how, how much you're playing the objective, how many points you're getting, you have the ability to spawn in as different uh, reinforcements, as they call it. So you might be able to play as like a jet trooper, a Wookiee, or a death trooper, um, or spawn in as a different ship or play as a different hero. And unfortunately, when playing the game, you have to receive in my opinion, an absurd amount, absurd amount of points in order to be able to unlock or be able to play as those heroes during the game. Um, what's really frustrating is you're in the, in the game, for example, which would usually last, I think the games last for anywhere from 5 to 10 minutes, um, and I'm playing, and this is the largest galactic assault, I believe it's called, and I'm playing, I'll be you know, trying to get points so I can play as you know, Kylo Ren or uh, Yoda, but by the time I get that many points, the game's over, and it's really frustrating because you're trying to get to that, and so I think they need to fix that. Um, the only way you're able to play as a hero, from my experience, is I had to play as one of the, um, the vehicles or one of the other specialist abilities, at which point I wasn't playing the objective in the slightest. I was just trying to get as many points as possible, which it might, if someone else was playing, they probably would have had a lot of frustration with that. Um, so those are the three biggest problems with the game, um, in my opinion. I don't really find too much offense to the in-game purchases, but I do think they need to fix the system in terms of getting credits and being able to play as different reinforcements in the game. Um, that's all on, the, all on the multiplayer side. On the single-player side, I've only paid about... 10% of the single player just because I've been really like into getting to play all the multiplayer maps um, Single player so far was really cool getting to play as item verso um, And I haven't finished it yet like I said, but it's it's been cool So I, no letdowns in the single player and I'll just add one thing on the multiplayer that um, It's it's way better than the first game. So if you like the first game multiplayer system um, It's way better. I'm not trying to make it seem like Battlefront 2 isn't a good game A lot of people are saying that but I I love the game and I've been playing it for a while um, the graphics are amazing. I've played Kashyyyk, it's probably my favorite map, and then you can play during the day or at night. And when you're playing at night, it's like a real war zone. Like, you're, you're in there, and you're, you can't look left or right without getting shot. It, it's extremely cool. And it's pitch black other than, um, you know, like cannons firing and, uh, you know, lasers going across. And it makes it a really cool effect, and the, the graphics have been super impressive. So the game is definitely a good game, but I think they need to improve in, a, in those three areas that I mentioned. I'll tell you, I, I was very excited for the game when they first announced it and when we talked about it during the, the discussion about the beta, but I saw that Reddit thread when it came out, and that really gave me pause. I, I don't want to play the game for 48 hours for each character to unlock Yoda or Darth Vader or even, you know, even a lesser character. Um, 
So that gave me pause. I, I, I'm not going to buy the game just because of that. I'll wait till it's on a discount sale or something, um, and and then I'll get it then. But I was I was disappointed to see that. So it, that's just not what I'm looking for. The in-game purchases I get, and it doesn't bother me as much either. Uh, that's just what EA does. If you are familiar with EA, that's their whole thing. Um, so I was expecting that, but the you know the progression system, and playing for just hours and hours to unlock just one character, and then you have to do it again to get the rest of them. Um, it really sat you know with me the wrong way. Uh, one thing I saw actually, I just read an article about this yesterday. I think was that there's a there was a system in the game called um, loot boxes and. Uh, Disney made them remove that because they called it gambling. Ja- I-, I haven't seen how the loot boxes worked. I mean, is that actually gambling? So, from what I've seen, they they removed one thing specifically. It was due to the, all the criticism of the in-game purchases. They removed it in-game. So, if you go into the um, the system where you you can get different abilities and stuff, and you click to like buy the crystals as they call it, that's their currency. It doesn't let you do that anymore. So that's one of the changes they've made. The system they have, um, you were right. It's it's called um, yeah. There's, it's these loot crates. Basically, but based on how well you do in the game, you get credits to buy different loot boxes. Um, I haven't heard of it as gambling. I I haven't seen yeah. that, but um, I'm gonna definitely look into it now that you mention it. The loot box system is still in as of. You know, 20 minutes ago when I was playing. Um, so I know they removed the in-game purchases, but the loot box system is still there. How that? I already explained how that works. I, I didn't. Have, it doesn't feel like gambling, but I, I know what they mean. And I'll just add to make for perspective here on how much you need to play to unlock certain stuff. The last Battlefront game, which I played, I played a lot. Like I loved the game. I played a lot with my friends. I played a lot offline. I racked over 200 hours on it, which isn't a ton, but it's a it's a solid amount of time. And that was me playing, you know, on weekends whenever I was free. Uh, this game, I think someone calculated it. If you were to unlock everything, um, and I'll just add, I I had unlocked a good amount of stuff in the first one. If you were to unlock everything in this new game, it would take over. I think it was something crazy like 2,000 hours or something, which is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Wow. And it's un- unspeakable to think about how long that would take. Um, so just for perspective, so people who aren't familiar with it can understand why it's a big deal. Wow. Jack, thank you for uh, that review of Battlefront 2. I'm of course. still considering getting it. I may wait for a discount like Joe. I may get it sooner, but that was a great thorough review. So thank you for that. So now we're going to turn it over to Scott, who's going to give us a brief uh, description of some of the movies that have already come out this month, how they've been performing, and then we're going to talk about some movies that have yet to come out this month and what we're excited to see. So, Scott? Yes, thank you, Jack. To me, the most uh, significant story in the world of movies is Justice League, and it's not a good story because the movie is not performing up to expectations. As we're recording this episode, I have in front of me showbiz411.com, the entertainment writer Roger Friedman who writes that the movie uh, performed well below expectations. It set a record for worst debut of a franchise comic book movie. And he, this is a quote from him. He says, since comic book movies are all anyone at any studio cares about anymore, this is a problem. Now, the movie, it's important to keep this in perspective. It still made many, many millions of dollars. So I wouldn't call it a box office failure. But compared to other recent superhero films, Like Wonder Woman, who's one of the characters featured in Justice League, this does have to concern studios. Maybe we're getting to a little bit of superhero fatigue, or maybe there's a little bit of fatigue, particularly with the DC characters versus the Marvel. People describe the DC comic book movies as a little bit darker, and that could be a problem. So that's Justice League. Thor, the most recent Thor, opened in theaters, I think it was two weeks ago. I've 
yet to see it. I do want to see it. I've heard very good things about it. It got good reviews. I think it's performing well. I, I don't think there's been any box office disappointments with that, from what I understand. Um, recent movies also to come out include Daddy's Home 2, which I saw in theaters and it was completely sold out on opening day. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which I've heard mixed things about. And opening today, we're recording this the night before Thanksgiving, is the newest Disney film, Disney Pixar film, Coco, which from everything I'm reading on Twitter is getting amazing, amazing reviews. People seem to like it. And I'm curious to hear uh, what we all think of it when we have a chance to see it. So those are films that have recently come out. Before I turn to upcoming films, anybody want to add anything? Scott, did you see Justice League? Or no? Not, not yet. Uh, I wanted to know your thoughts on Henry Cavill's digital mustache removal. That's a major story of the year. Um, for those that don't know, uh, from what I understand, Henry Cavill is Superman. He started to make the newest Mission Impossible movie, and he had a mustache on, but they weren't yet done with Justice League. So they had to film him for Justice League a little bit more, but digitally remove the mustache. So um, it's a big story. It doesn't get some, much bigger than that. Some, <laughs> in my opinion, it doesn't. Some of the pictures that are coming out of this, uh, the digitalized mustache removal, though, are just <laughs> awful. I can't imagine. I can't believe yeah. they even put that in the movie. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, so. it uh, could be worth so, seeing just for that. I was just going to say, that's maybe the only reason I would want to see that movie. <laughs> uh, today, I actually saw Scott while I was on my way there, but I went and saw uh, Thor Ragnarok. I know we talked about this earlier in an earlier episode. We weren't too impressed with the trailer. We thought it was going to be a little bit stale, the movie, a little bit repetitive. I'm happy to say that after seeing the movie, in my opinion, that is not the case. Um, I thought the villain was going to be very, you know, just completely made up and no really good background, or, or they would just make up a fake background, you know, for the movie. But the villain, she has an extremely complex backstory and it fits very well with the plot. And overall, the movie is extremely fun. Um, it's a lot more humorous than a lot of the other Marvel movies have been, um, but it has a really good balance, in my opinion, of humor and, um, you know, having an interesting and serious plot considering it is, you know, a Marvel movie. Um, but I was really impressed. I thought all the actors did a great job. And I forget um, her name. I think it's Tessa Brooks, maybe, who plays the uh, sidekick of Thor in the movie. And she does a fantastic job. I probably didn't get her name right, but she's the uh, female... Tessa uh, Thompson? Tessa Thompson, Tessa yeah, Thompson. yeah. Yeah, and she does a great job. And um, there's a lot of Avengers in it. You'll be surprised. There's a lot more than you thought in the movie. Um, and it's really cool. And you're, if I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, and although we gave mixed reviews when we watched the trailer, I'm, it kind of removed a lot of my criticisms of the trailer. I honestly don't think the trailer did the movie justice, um, not to reference to Justice League, but th in my opinion. Was, was it your favorite Thor film? Frankly, I need a refresher on the other Thor movies because I saw them a while ago. Um, but as if I'm just saying off of what I've remembered from the past Thor movies, yes, I'd say this one's my favorite, but I haven't seen the other ones in a, in a, in a long time. So Okay, so now turning to upcoming releases, clearly the biggest one on the calendar is on Friday, December 15th. Star Wars The Last Jedi opens up in theaters. This movie is significant for many reasons. The one that comes to mind right away for me is that this will be Carrie Fisher's last appearance on film in a Star Wars movie. She unfortunately passed away. Um... We get to see how the storyline progresses, whether or not what, – what does the title mean, The Last Jedi? People are still trying to figure that out. I did get my tickets for opening day. I have tickets for an early afternoon showing, and the theater was already practically sold out. This goes back about a couple of weeks. So highly anticipated movie. 
Another one coming out is Jumanji, starring The Rock, Jack Black, and Kevin Hart. I never saw the original Jumanji, which I, people may find hard to believe, but I'm a big fan of Dwayne Johnson. I'm curious to see this film. The trailers look like it's going to be a fun movie. We'll see how good it really is. I, I know Neil's looking forward to Pitch Perfect 3. He often speaks about these movies to me and tells me how good they are. I, Have you I've seen actually, any yet? I've never seen a Pitch Perfect movie, huh. and that's that's no offense to them. I've just never seen it. Um, but I do know you like them, and so I Joe, is that, that a comment? You you seen that Joe? I, I've seen Pitch Perfect. Yes, I was actually on the plane back, uh, headed back down to Florida, and Pitch Perfect Two was on, and I was that guy on the plane uh, laughing very loudly, uh, surrounded by his fellow passengers. That, I did that once with Hot Rod with Andy Samberg. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And then the last movie I'll mention, which opens on Wednesday, December twentieth, is The Greatest Showman. This movie stars Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams. It's the story of P.T. Barnum. It's a musical. It also stars Zac Efron and Zendaya. So to me, the cast alone is, is a, this makes this a type of movie you have to see. But I am very, very skeptical about it just because of the fact that I really am, generally speaking, not a fan of new musicals. I know that uh, Neil isn't as well and Joe. and So <laughs> we'll have to see how this one mm. turns out. But it's certainly a major release right before the Christmas holiday. And those are some of the upcoming movies. I can't wait to talk about them on the show with you guys. So as always, we conclude our show by talking about the stuff that we love. And I'm happy to start that this episode. I'm going to talk about the Quip toothbrush. That's Q-U-I-P. This is an internet-only product. It is an electronic toothbrush that is designed to work like a Sonicare or an Oral-B, but is much more affordable. It's an internet-only product. It costs, I think, anywhere from... 25 to $50, depending on what package you get. And it could be even more if the material involved is metal. It's been doing an excellent job. I know this sounds hard to believe, but our teeth actually really feel a lot cleaner. It's a very cool product in the way it's presented. It's a very minimalist thing. As many modern products you get on the internet are nowadays. Go to their website. I think you'll find many of the options there quite intriguing. For my Stuff We Love segment, I want to talk a little bit about video games again and mention the game Horizon Zero Dawn from PS4. This is a PS4 exclusive that's been out for uh, a while now, uh, but I wanted to mention it this time because they just released new downloadable content called The Frozen Wilds. And this game is my all-time favorite game this year. Um, it might even be in my top five favorite games of all time. It's just an amazing game overall, and anyone who has a PS4 should uh, look into this game. And the downloadable content that they just released is not... Um, you know, just a couple of new outfits or something for the game. It's almost like an entire new game that uh, you get, you know, for the for the regular cost of normal downloadable content. And I highly recommend it. The amazing, the, the graphics are amazing, and it has a new storyline as well uh, with all new missions and uh, level caps that are raised. And the attention to detail is amazing. The it's a it's a game. Obviously, in a winter scene, they they rendered the snow, and then they even rendered the grass under the snow when you run around. It's just that incredible. So I highly recommend that game for anyone with a PS4 and also the downloadable content as well. For my Stuff We Love segment this week, I'm also going to be talking about a video game. So as well as um, purchasing Battlefront 2, I also purchased uh, the new Call of Duty, World War II. And so far, I've been pleasantly surprised with the game. Call of Duty has received some flack in the past, especially with their... Um, not um, not the newer one, but the one before that, uh, Infinity. I think it was Infinity War, um, which was the one that came out before the most recent, and received a lot of criticism just because they kind of thought uh, Call of Duty 
was going in the wrong direction. At this point, you had people, you know, jumping off walls and like shooting everywhere, and it really lost the origins of what Call of Duty was. And so, this new game, World War II, I think attracts a lot more people that were original fans of the game. And so far, like I said, I've been I've been very uh, happy with it. The campaign is actually pretty difficult. I was playing on just the regular skill level, and some of the missions took me a uh, pretty long time to do. The I haven't finished the whole campaign yet, but as much as I've played, it's extremely detailed and um, extremely enjoyable to play and is one of the best single player, ga uh, single player games I've played in a while. Um, in terms of multiplayer, it's a lot better than the past games I've played due to the fact that they have this new game mode called, um, I think it's Gridiron, I could be wrong. In that game mode, you actually relive kind of famous war battles. So one of them is you play D-Day, and you can either be from the side um, storming the beach or the side defending the beach, and it's enjoyable on both sides. And as a result, it makes it really realistic, which I really enjoy because one of my biggest uh, complaints with Call of Duty games, especially when you're playing uh, certain maps, is there's just no realism in the sense that your team can be on one side and then there just be one guy who takes you all out who just managed to run behind your whole lines and stuff but this game's a lot more realistic especially this game mode and so i really enjoyed the new game the graphics are fantastic it's a really good story mode like i mentioned and um it's been really enjoyable for my stuff we love this week uh i'm going to talk about the dyson bladeless fan which is has been a game changer for me in terms of getting a good night's sleep i'm very big on uh, making my uh, surroundings uh, as comfortable as possible when I go to sleep, and uh, temperature is a huge part of that, so especially here in Florida. And uh, I purchased the, the fan. It is, it is a little bit pricier than I normally would have liked to have spent for a fan, but uh, that being said, it does create a very natural light breeze. And if you could get a discount on it, I, I would say it, it is worth it because I have noticed the difference in the sleep, the quality of sleep I've been getting, and just having that relaxing feel. Uh, it, there, it, 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 there is a noticeable difference uh, to it. Uh, and the remote control it comes with is very, very useful. So I highly recommend the Dyson Bladeless Fan uh, uh, as something to, uh, uh, if you're like me and when you go to sleep, you like to have a, a little bit of a cool temperature, which they say is good for you anyway when you go to sleep. So um, uh, so that's my product for this week. So um, you know, my item for this week is something that I get a ton of utility out of um, on a daily basis, and that is the Aukey Magnetic Car Mount for your smartphone, A-U-K-E-Y. It's a very simple and a very affordable product that really solves a real need. And it essentially allows you to mount your phone near the dashboard of your car. And it's really fantastic for navigating through Google Maps or Waze, um, you know, in a hands-off manner. So essentially, the product itself is comprised of two pieces. Um, so there's a, a magnetic disc that sits between your phone and your, your phone case. And you put it right in there, um, and it stays in there on a daily basis. And then there's a magnet that you can attach to your air vent through essentially a, a rubber four-prong clip. It's very easy to pop on and off, um, the, both the phone and the, the unit itself on the air vent, so that you could take it with you if you're traveling, if you're in rental cars or anything um, like that. So great way to have hands-off access to your phone, um, and it's available on Amazon, I think anywhere between 5 and $10. So pretty low investment and uh, really serves a great purpose. Can I ask one question about that? Do you think if somebody has a navigation system in their car already, they still would want to have a phone mount or no? I personally um, don't trust my car navigation system and will only use Google Maps or Waze, even though my car is 
are equipped with navigation. So oh, wow. to me, with uh, the technology that's in the apps on the phone, it's just far superior to, to what I get within the car, particularly when it comes to traffic and rerouting. Um, and so I really only use um, my phone for navigating purposes. Interesting. And, and I'll add that um, I think if it's the same company, uh, Neil and I also have a different, a different product by Aki, which is the, uh, that light that I know Neil has and I have it as well. And it was actually mentioned on a previous episode on the, as one of the Stuff We Love products um, that Neil and I are both utilizing. So Aki is definitely a company to check out with some really interesting products. So Josh, thanks again for joining us on this episode. I would like to just take you through where we could be found on social media. We are on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We also have a Facebook page. Please like it if you haven't done so already. Our website is www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. Fans can write into us at stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to have some nice five star reviews on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. So thanks again for tuning in. If you're listening to this, it's post-Thanksgiving. We hope you had a good holiday and have a wonderful holiday season. I'm Scott. I'm Joe. I'm Jack. I'm Neil. And I'm Josh. And thanks for listening with us.